The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas, because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of the Veritas Show, where we bring you disclosure, one guest at a time. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you are keeping Veritas alive. Also, another big thank you to those of you who are buying truth certificates for others, and also those of you who are donating subscriptions to the less fortunate. Not only are these very noble gestures, but I want you to know it is the biggest compliment anyone has ever given me. Why? Because that really tells me you value what Veritas is all about, and you want others to experience it. Again, I can say thank you enough. You won't be disappointed. And yes, I have a number of free subscriptions available to you, but I need you to write to me at donations at VeritasShow.com with an essay telling me why you should receive a free subscription. Remember, if you can't transcribe, that's another way to get a subscription. Otherwise, write a compelling essay and I will put you on the list. And if you're listening to this show prior to 8 p.m. Pacific on Friday, December the 4th, join me in the chat room with Dr. Judy Wood to continue discussing her last show, which, by the way, it is creating waves everywhere. Here's your chance to ask Dr. Wood a question. 
She and I will hold the microphone, and it will be a continuation of our show. But this time, it is live, and where else do you see such an intimate setting with you, the guest, and I? I hope to see you there. Just go to the Members section and click on the chat link, and you will see the room password. And wasn't that a great show with Dr. Judy Wood last week? So many people have contacted me, thanking me for my bravery. What bravery? I just placed a phone call. Dr. Wood is the brave one here, and I'm glad so many are waking up. So join us at the chat to take it to the next level. Tonight's special guest is former NASA astronaut, scientist, lecturer, and so much more, Dr. Brian O'Leary, coming to us all the way from the Southern Hemisphere in Vilcabamba, Ecuador. Remember, there are no country limitations for Veritas. And speaking of other countries, we now have 157 countries and territories listening to the show. And I want to welcome eight new countries and territories. Antigua and Barbuda, British Virgin Islands, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Cuba, Monaco, Palestinian territories, Taiwan, Uganda, and Zimbabwe. To see your country, go to VeritasShow.com and click on Countries. Our message goes beyond borders and ideologies. Truth is universal. We'll be with you wherever you are. And speaking of getting the word out, thanks to those of you who have recommended to get Veritas on a few audio stream portals. To start, we are now on Shoutcast. Go to shoutcast.com and search for The Veritas Show. This is exposure to hundreds of thousands of people. In the next few days, we'll start broadcasting via talkstreamlive.com and live365.com. But more important than anything else is your word of mouth. You are in the front lines and can help us reach more people. If you are listening, tell someone you know about Veritas. They will thank you for waking them up. And again, with the holiday season coming, you can give the gift of truth three, six months, or one year. Go to the Veritas shop right on our website, veritasshow.com. And if you haven't noticed, we hardly have any advertisers, but I would only add those that I believe in. Right on our website, I have added the Miracle Mineral Solution Formula called MMS. Read what it does, and you'll know why I've included it on the website. Find out how Jim Humble the inventor of this formula is being persecuted by perhaps Big Pharma. I don't want to sound mysterious, but read what it can do for your health and you'll know why I posted it there. If you need to get in touch with me with feedback or questions, send me an email to mail. That's M-E-L at VeritasShow.com. unknown filmmaker from Uruguay has been given 30 million pounds, about 50 million dollars, by Hollywood studio bosses to turn his $500 video of a giant robot invasion into a movie. Would-be director Federico Alvarez, who runs a post-production visual effects house in Uruguay, filmed Panic Attack with a budget of just $500 in his free time. The five-minute clip shows an invasion of Montevideo, the capital of Uruguay, by giant robots and had special effects which could rival many big-budget movies. Once online, it got the attention of thousands of movie fans and, not surprisingly, studio bosses who wanted to meet with Alvarez to talk about his movie. 
The 30-year-old was whisked to Los Angeles, where he was offered 1 million director's fee and up to 30 million pounds, $50 million, to make the film by Mandate Pictures. The plans for the movie are said to have a compelling original story beyond big robots blowing stuff up. Alvarez has also been put up in a new apartment, given a new car, and will work with Spider-Man director Sam Raimi on developing the film. To see this absolutely incredible video, head on over to the Manticore forum. I have posted it there. You will not believe your eyes and the fact he did this with $500. Imagine what he will do with $50 million. California Senator Barbara Boxer says hackers should face criminal probe over climate gate. Leaked emails allegedly undermining climate change science should be treated as criminal matter, Senator Barbara Boxer from California said Wednesday afternoon. Boxer, the top Democrat on the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, said that the recently released emails showing scientists allegedly overstating the case for climate change should be treated as a crime. You call it climate gate? I call it email theft gate, she said during a committee meeting. Can you believe that? How about reading the emails and finding out who has been lying for years and taking billions of dollars from the people to create a one world government? Unbelievable. Machine converts CO2 into gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Sandia researcher Rich Diver assembles a prototype device intended to chemically re-energize carbon dioxide into carbon monoxide, which ultimately could become the building blocks to synthesize a liquid combustible fuel. Researchers at Sandia National Laboratories have built a machine that uses the sun's energy to convert carbon dioxide waste from power plants into transportation fuels such as gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. The system could provide an alternative to carbon sequestration instead of permanently storing CO2 underground. The CO2 could be recycled and put to use. A prototype of the machine, which was invented by Sandia researcher Rich Diver, was tested recently for the first time. Device spells doom for superbugs. The prototype device can kill off bacteria, viruses, and fungi in just seconds. Researchers have demonstrated a prototype device that can rid hands, feet, or even underarms of bacteria, including the hospital superbug MRSA. The device works by creating something called a plasma, which produces a cocktail of chemicals in air that kill bacteria but are harmless to skin. A related approach could see the use of plasmas to speed the healing of wounds. Writings in the New Journal of Physics, the authors say plasmas could help solve gum disease or even body odor. And lastly, Illuminati symbolism in movies. If you listen to Dr. Judy Wood's appearance on Veritas, you must watch this video posted on the Veritas blog and also at the Magicor Forum. Especially look at minute 2, second 7, and get ready to see your jaw drop. For news, visit our blog. And for even more news, visit our forum at Manticore.com. Become a Veritas member and get access to all our past, present, and future shows access to the Manticore Forum, to our members' chat, and all for $5.32 per month. Where else can you get so much for so little? And now, get ready to spend the night with author, scientist, former astronaut, and international speaker, Dr. Brian O'Leary. If you want to know about new alternative energies, the Brookings Institution Report, the report from Iron Mountain, Black Projects, and much more. Don't go anywhere. 
This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Most of the great music you hear right here on The Veritas Show is supplied by the independent artists from Jamendo.com. If you hear a song you like, go over to our homepage, VeritasShow.com, click on the guest, look up the song, and download it. You can even buy the group's CDs, in many cases right there at Jamendo.com. This is Dr. David Jacobs, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Dr. Brian O'Leary is a scientist philosopher with 50 years of experience in academic research, in teaching and government service in frontier science and energy policy. He was a NASA scientist astronaut during the Apollo program, the first to be selected for a planet Mars mission and participated in unmanned planetary mission as an Ivy League professor. Over the past four decades, Dr. O'Leary has been an international author, speaker, peace activist, founder of nonprofits, and advisor to progressive U.S. Congress members and presidential candidates. Dr. O'Leary's latest book, The Energy Solution Revolution, describes the enormous potential of breakthrough clean energy technologies, their suppression, and their logical necessity for our survival. Zero-point energy, coal fusion, and advanced hydrogen and water chemistry could provide us all an abundant future for all humanity. In 2004, he and his wife, the artist Meredith Miller, moved to the Andes in Ecuador, where they co-created Montesueños, an eco-retreat, an educational center dedicated to creativity and the rights of nature. And directly from Vilcabamba, Ecuador, Dr. Brian O'Leary, Hello, Dr. O'Leary, and welcome to the Veritas Show. How are you? Hi, Mel. I'm fine, thanks. And you, and you, how are you doing? I am doing great. It's a pleasure having you on, sir. It seems that we are coming to a point where we're escalating our efforts to go after the truth with every new show. And with you as a guest tonight, it's not going to be an exception, sir. Dr. O'Leary, right. for, for those... For sure. That's for sure. For those around uh, the world who may not be familiar with you, Please give us a bit of your background and what experiences changed your life and place you where you are today. Well, uh, I guess you could say the first 40 years of my life, um, I was an establishment scientist. I uh, was active with NASA, of course, and then I spent uh, several years with Carl Sagan on the faculty at Cornell University in the, in the astronomy department. I was very involved in some of the planetary missions that NASA did uh, during the 1970s. And then um, I, I spent a, a, some time in government service. I worked with uh, Congressman Morris Udall and his Energy and Environment Subcommittee uh, in Washington, D.C. And then I, uh, uh, I, I then went on to Princeton University in the Physics Department, 
uh, and worked on, on various visionary space projects, uh, such as space settlements. That, uh, and, and it was around then that I had a, uh, uh, I, I started to get involved in the human potential movement. Uh, at a life spring training, I, uh, was able to successfully remotely view a situation in person, uh, which kind of opened me up experientially to a whole whole new world that went beyond the kind of dry academic work that I had been doing. So that kind of uh, shifted me quite a bit. I, I had a near-death experience in an automobile accident, and I had some healing experiences, and that led my way to uh, espousing uh, or suggesting that we create a whole new science of consciousness. Needless to say, that uh, it was not well supported at a place like Princeton. So around then, I went on my own, and for the last 30 years, I've been kind of balancing my work between metaphysics and physics, uh, but in, in the hopes of environmentally uh, creating a sustainable future for humankind, which I believe is really quite possible, but has been obviously suppressed. So that, I guess, in a nutshell, has been my life. The first 40 years, I was a, a traditional scientist, and in the last 30, I've been a, a new scientist. And I want to touch uh, every step of the way, because you have such an amalgamation of, of degrees and experiences, and you're a scientist Yet, you also deal with the metaphysics, which to some people, it may be conflicted, but I'll go step by step. Let me go back, first of all, to during your PhD thesis, which was about uh, Mars, and coincidentally, you were even asked by the selection committee in your interview, quote, would you be willing to submit a hazardous two-year journey to Mars? And you said, fine, I don't know whether my wife would like it, but I want to go, unquote. We had Dr. Paul Laviolette on the show a few days ago, and he says, there is technology available that can take a man to Mars in five days using electrogravitics. Why do you believe that NASA continues to use 1950s rocket technology? Are they just an illusion given to us to make us believe they are doing something? Very good question, Mel. Um, my answer is, is, is not a simple one because I don't really know the inner workings of NASA. It's been a long time since I was there. Uh, but what I can say is that, uh, the, that NASA has become like a tired old bureaucracy, and they're not really doing that much for humanity anymore after the exciting first few years that I was involved in the program. Uh, it's gone downhill quite a bit, and it's become largely military, and it's also uh, been involved in several cover-ups um, of, uh, of the truth, which which I certainly don't support, nor do I really know much about their motivation behind their covering up or what exactly they are covering up. But Paul LaViolette is, is certainly correct. In principle, using electrogravitics and some of the technologies that are so obvious uh, just from observing the uh, UFO phenomenon, that, uh, that, that very clearly we don't need to use big old behemoth chemical rockets anymore, and it would be much easier to get to Mars in just a few days using electrogravitics. You and I, people like us, truth seekers, we have problems with authority and rules. And that's one reason why you went from university to university. 
Why was that, and was it because you were not satisfied with the answers academia was giving you? That's absolutely right, Mel. I I kind of thought each time that I went to a new university that that this would be the answer, and each time it wasn't, and uh, and so it was a time of 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 great disillusionment when I was about forty years old, um, and and. Uh, uh, a disillusionment with uh, uh, with the fact that that my own experiences were directly violating the so-called rules of science, and so uh, I, I had no choice but to really to leave that whole world, that whole system. And ever since then, of course, it's it's been a wonderfully stimulating life. There's been no holding me back. Uh, on the on the one hand, on the other hand, of course, it's been a, a, a struggle to try to make a an income and a career out of this, because of course, having left the establishment, uh, there were no longer any of the perks that went along with that. I had children to send through college, and somehow uh, managed to get through that period of. Uh, but but of, uh, that's the kind of thing that's holding a lot of people back. I think from embracing the kind of science we could really be developing, the kind of science that could really produce the answers we need for a truly sustainable future for our precious planet. On this show, one of our mottos is be skeptical, but don't close your mind or keep an open mind. You always had visionary ideas, such as space colonies or mining the asteroids for their raw materials. People would scratch their heads and say, quote, well, this guy isn't quite with it. Even one colleague said to you, quote, Brian, don't have such an open mind that your brain will spill out. I feel I almost like this every day. That's why I created this show, so I could talk to people like you and satisfy my own hunger for true knowledge and not the same recycled material academia wants to shove down your throat. Where else can we go for true knowledge these days? Well, uh... Uh, I mean, where where can we go for true knowledge? Well, um, you know, it's really hard. There, there's no. It's sort of like uh, you know, there's been kind of a real estate boom here, and so people ask me, where do you go to get uh, real estate advice? Well, I don't want to send people anywhere because they're all crooked. <laughs> and so, right. Uh, I, you know, I ha- I have to say none of the above when it comes to a, a traditional education. However. There, there are people out there, people like myself, I suppose, um, who, who do have uh, this new knowledge and who do teach it. You, you just have to find it. And uh, it's, it's not a simple matter, but fortunately in the age of the Internet, you can Google uh, various topics and start to get into them a lot uh, more quickly than I was able to do it 30 years ago when I started to venture forth in, into uh, uh, the new sciences of consciousness, and uh, uh, so it, it it is possible, but it takes a little effort to uh, break out of the traditional mold. And speaking of that, since most people can't think outside of the box, they put labels on you, and most say with a normal scientific, they stay with the normal scientific paradigm. What's your advice to the young independent thinkers listening to us now, who may feel intimidated? by expressing their progressive ideas? Well, uh, my advice would be don't fear. Fear not. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. And this is a time, probably more than any time, given the um, 
the serious threats there are to uh, all of hum- human civilization and uh, the natural balance of the earth. Of all times, this is the time to stand and be counted and to not, uh, to not be intimidated. Now, if you're young, I know there are certain rules you may need to play by more than somebody my age, which is uh, pushing 70. And it's, it's, it's a more difficult uh, uh, road ahead for a young person. However, uh, it's still possible. There are so many um, groups out there that are researching, for example, uh, right at the edge of physics and quantum physics, the observer effect, the fact that human, human consciousness can affect the material world or, or parapsychology. There are various graduate schools all over the country. There's the uh, California Institute of Integral Sciences. There's, there's the University of Philosophical Research in Los Angeles. There are many places you can go for this kind of specialized training. But at the same time, there are also various spiritual paths, uh, such as yoga. Uh, I've been quite involved with the Shivananda organization, they have ashrams and centers all over the world, and they're very open to uh, both traditional Eastern uh, thinking and uh, how Western science is now showing many of those ideas are, are very valid. Uh, in other words, there are many ways of stepping outside the box, and in many ways it's easier now to do than it was for me when I started doing it 30 years ago because of the Internet and because of of the offerings of various groups and uh, uh, that, that, that individuals could, just through their own searching, could find out for themselves. And by the way, I'm not criticizing the scientific method, the methodology per se, but I'm just making reference to the fact that there are certain laws that can be disproven and mainstream science does not want that challenge. And speaking of Dr. LaViolette, I, must, I should have t- told you this offline. When we were discussing a few days ago anti-gravity and free energy, we got disconnected 24 times. So I'm warning you, I'm hoping that this is not going to happen today. That was the first time this ever happened to us. So I'm warning you that if we get into subjects that are a little bit uh, esoteric in that way, that this may happen. But speaking of uh, LaViolette, once again, who can prove that the theory of relativity and the laws of thermodynamics are wrong and has approached NASA and airlines, with solutions that can help the whole planet progress. But no, the recalcitrant minds don't want to listen. Do we have to follow what Max Planck said about letting old generations die before new ones realize they were wrong? I don't want to wait that long, do you? Well, I I don't think we can afford to wait that long. And indeed, that quote is a very apt one. Um, There's another one that I like, uh, Bertrand Russell, which is, the resistance to a new idea increases as the square of its importance. <laughs> and uh, when you're <laughs> talking good. about um, uh, overturning uh, an old science, which is really uh, Western science has kind of strangled itself, painted itself into a corner. And I totally agree with you that the scientific method is, is a wonderful approach to problems. And sometimes it's not used often enough. And there are many people out there, for example, in the New Age movement or people that consider themselves metaphysicians who really don't have much of a basis or logical basis for what some of their claims are. So it's a very difficult field uh, for 
people like Paul Laviolette and myself to be in because we uh, we are scientists. Paul is, and I am. I tremendously respect his work. I think he's really on to the right ideas. I, I do believe that the, the so-called laws of thermodynamics are not laws. They're only theories that apply to a certain range of conditions that are very limited, and then you can go outside of that range of conditions, and uh, and it's very obvious that it no longer it's no longer valid. So in a way, Western science has become like a priesthood, a priesthood of um, very traditional, socially conservative uh, uh, people who don't really know what's going on, or they're pretending not to know what's going on. It's a, it's a very, uh, science is going through a crisis now, a, a major crisis. And we hope that we don't have to wait for the funerals of many of uh, the leading practitioners. That, uh, uh, and, and also I would, and I'm sure Paul agrees with this, is that we would love to see some bright younger people come into the fold. Unfortunately, we can't offer the money or the prestige or the career, but what we can offer is the truth which, of course, is the name of your show. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. And I heard you say uh, you quit the space program because you were going to have to fly high-performance jets, and you calculated that you have a one-in-five chance of being killed in a jet accident, which is both Air Force and astronaut statistics, even before you got to see a space flight. That's a 20% chance of dying. I can't say I blame you. How can so many astronauts be in agreement with those probabilities? Well, again, you know, uh, I guess I'm different. <laughs> I, uh, the probability was too high for me, but the, the really the main reason for quitting was that they canceled the Mars program. Um, uh, my real interest was to go to Mars, even in a chemical rocket, which at that time I quite ignorantly felt that that was the only way to do it. Um, so that was the main reason, and the other was that the reason for canceling the Mars mission, uh, President Lyndon Johnson came to the uh, Manned Spacecraft Center, it's now called the Johnson Space Center, in Houston in 1968, and I remember him telling us, he gave us a lecture, the astronauts, uh, that uh, we, we couldn't any longer go to Mars and we have to cancel the later Apollo flights because of our increasing involvement in Vietnam, whereupon I became a war protester. Uh, I've uh, marched on Washington many times, protesting many wars uh, ever since then. So I'm obviously quite cut out of a somewhat different cloth from uh, most of the former and uh, existing astronauts. And I want to take a moment to talk about your experience with Carl Sagan, who was the one who wanted you to join the faculty at Cornell University. I believe you have a you had a little bit of a fallout. You said, quote, it was very, very disappointing to me because not only was Carl wrong, he also fudged data. He published a picture of the quote unquote phase of Sidonia in Parade magazine and pop, a popular article saying that the phase was just a natural formation. But he doctored the picture to make it not look like a phase. I have to tell you, doctor, I have to I was very disappointed when I started hearing about this, not through you, but many, many months ago, about Carl Sagan. In your opinion, and I'm sure you have one, why do you think he was fudging data? Who was really working for 
Who was he really working for? Was he a disinformation agent? Well, uh, again, I, I can't answer this question because I don't know. Uh, I left Cornell uh, long before I started uh, to come out of the box, so to speak. So uh, I had no real contact with Carl or his people. All I know was that they were very hostile towards me as soon as I started to take a position that perhaps uh, there, was, there, there was something artificial about the face. Uh, to even make that suggestion was like sheer heresy. And uh, I, all I can say is, is that throughout the history of science, this has taken place. And Carl obviously made the decision to become an establishment scientist. Um, at some point, uh, he may have been recruited. Uh, there, there's some talk about his being involved, for example, in the uh, uh, UFO cover-up. Uh, it's very clear that Carl's thinking and the thinking of many leading, uh, so-called leading scientists um, uh, believe that the only way that extraterrestrial contact could take place was to wait to hear from uh, some hypothetical planet circling a nearby star, but because according to relativity, the speed of light is the universal speed limit, it would take too long for any kind of meaningful communication to take place. Therefore, the ET phenomenon has to be invalid. Well, what stupid reasoning, because first of all, the speed of light is not the universal speed limit. Um, our consciousness can reach into the universe, every corner of the universe, instantaneously. And modern experiments uh, in... Uh, 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 modern experiments in consciousness science have proven that time and time again, that our consciousness uh, preempts any kind of materialistic physical law. So Carl, uh, I think Carl was recruited. Um, I know that uh, we all that, that uh, have had prestigious backgrounds in science, that there have been attempts to recruit and recriminations if, if you wouldn't cooperate with that. And I, I have a feeling that that's what happened to him. And, of course, he, he, he did die a fairly young age of uh, bone marrow cancer. And I think toward his later years, his later months, uh, he, he might have had some misgivings about what he chose to do. In the interest of disclosure, I use one of his coined phrases, I don't want to believe, I want to know, and that's the extent of it. But back to Carl Sagan one more time. He, here's a man who supposedly embraces the cosmos, yet he spends years and most of his energy making sure that UFOs were covered up because it would be too much of a culture shock for us. I'll ask you again, he must have had some sponsors behind him to perpetuate the secret. Any incline... As to who could that have been? Maybe the defense, uh, petrochemicals? Well, again, it's all speculation because, you see, even though I was an insider, all those years that I was an insider, I truly kind of believed in, in the insider stuff, and, and nobody really uh, shared their secrets with me that they were answering to to some... Uh, to, to, to some... Uh, uh, higher power that was not, uh, uh, that did not have our best interests in mind. It's very clear to me, however, that people like Carl and many other mainstream scientists that go out of their way 
to create this almost uh, what, what we call it uh, a scientific double standard. Right. Uh, one of Carl's famous quotes was, "Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof." Exactly. And um, that that is a double standard because uh, who is to say what claim is extraordinary? Uh, that's Carl's own paradigm. His his paradigm is dead. It's it's basically a very limited view of reality that leads to speculations that are totally untrue, such as uh, the UFO phenomenon cannot be real because of the uh, uh, limitations of the speed of light. That's that's wrong. Simply wrong. <laughs> It must have been very disappointing to you as you were starting to uncover the truth to see how many organizations were covering the UFO phenomenon. Among them, you found MJ-12. We've discussed this many times on the show, but what is the reason, your opinion, for the secrecy, the 60-year truth embargo? Well, uh, the only public document that, um, that I'm aware of uh, that, that underlies this cover-up was that the Brookings Institution commissioned a report in 1961 that uh, addressed that question, what should we do if we are contacted? And their consensus was to uh, to cover it up, that the public wouldn't be ready for the truth. However, I think what's happening now, since this truth embargo has been going on now, at least ever since the time of Roswell, uh, the Roswell incident in 1947, the alleged uh, crash of, of UFOs near Roswell, New Mexico, uh, that for now um, over 60 years this has been covered up. But now I think the cover-up has created um, a momentum of its own, if you will, and you have this whole bureaucracy and apparatus that's invested in the secrecy uh, it certainly means more power to those that maintain the secrets and allows them then to manipulate the situation in such a way as to uh, remove it from any kind of democratic discourse. So there are many of us. Uh, I was just at the Exopolitics uh, uh, European Summit in Barcelona last July, Yes, and along with uh, Steve Steve Greer, Steve Bassett, um, Alfred Weber, um, uh, uh, Bob Dean, a number of us uh, were, were all very strongly advocated uh, disclosure that we we really need to know the truth of, of this matter, and just as importantly, we need to know about free energy and be willing to embrace it in a uh, democratically responsible way. So these are the kinds of policies that uh, some of us are are attempting to promote worldwide in the hope that, um, that something will give here. And you mentioned the Brookings uh, Institution report. Was Carl Sagan part of it, or did he just agree with it? I, I think, I, I don't recall exactly, but uh, I, I think he may have been a part of that. Uh, he may have been a consultant to it. Uh it was 1961. That's when I graduated from college. Carl would have just been getting his PhD around that point, too. So I think he was called into that study as well. So no wonder he helped perpetuate it. How about Project Iron Mountain? The fact that in order to keep the economy going, 
we always need to have a threat over our heads. The Cold War, then terrorism, a natural disaster, and ultimately, an alien invasion. Did Carl Sagan ever discuss that? And what are your thoughts on Project Iron Mountain? Well... Uh, indeed, that, that obviously is the policy that is being implemented. There, there is this crazy paranoia going on now of enemies everywhere and building up the military. And uh, uh, this, this approach is, and, and continuing to uh, be addicted to oil and dirty energy, and collectively these um, policies are destroying the earth and destroying humanity. And uh, I think anybody with any sense of logic would come to that conclusion. So obviously, we're going to have to have a major systemic change in order to accommodate what is absolutely necessary. And part of that means that we have to redefine what's meant by the economy. And right now, the economy is very sick. And we, we need to redefine what we mean by economy. And, uh, and so it's, it's obviously a, a very negative view of the world, one that's embraced right now by the powers that be, but ones that are, are totally unnecessary uh, for our future if we were to be able to embrace some of the cleaner new technologies and uh, to, to pursue a non-military future uh, to really have world peace. Let me talk about, uh, take a moment to talk about one of the moments that changed your life back in 1982. Not only did you go from coast to coast, from New York to California, but you also had a near-death experience, a car accident. Can you describe what happened? Well, I, um, I was in an automobile accident. Um, it was in Massachusetts. I was uh, by myself, fortunately, and I also fortunately had my seatbelt on. And it was one of these cold fronts had moved through, and it was raining, and then it, the road became slick ice. I was traveling at a high speed, uh, about 65 or so, and the car skidded out of control, did a few flips, and landed um, uh, in a ditch, uh, looking like an accordion. And quite miraculously, I was quite spared, um, but my experience of the accident was uh, was none of the violence. Instead, I I lifted out of my body and went into a brilliant light that uh, I wanted to become at one with. And interestingly enough, this happened at a time before I got into any of the, the uh, metaphysical concepts and, and the data of coming from new science inquiry. I was unaware that there was a classical near-death experience, that it was something that many millions of people uh, have experienced and reported on. So, uh, in a way, it was validation of our greater being, uh, validation that, that indeed we can, um, uh, that, that when we pass over, uh, that's not the end, that we uh, probably go on to a, um, uh, a different existence. And certainly from Eastern thought, or Eastern religion, um, there, there's a lot of validation of that as well. So it was really a life-transforming experience. It was one of the many I had that led me to inquiry into what I call the new sciences, the, the sciences which have been given short shrift by the culture but are nevertheless uh, uh, egging us on into the 21st century 
and and gives us some of the tools I think we're going to need in order to survive and and have a sustainable future. And I think of all the things that I've experienced and have investigated, uh, not only free energy, which I think is a very important concept, which we'll get to later, but also uh, the fact that our our conscious intention, if it's positive, such as in the exercise of prayer, uh, can literally transform the material world. It can change the properties of water. It can uh, uh, it can make the world a better place, almost literally. And and the science behind that, I think, is is very good. It needs more developing. But those kinds of approaches to life could totally change the world. And it, it's not going to take um, a billion people or so to do this. It, it, it's relatively small numbers of people. So I'm very encouraged. And some of these experiences I had uh, were kind of my way showers into a, a whole different world, a whole different paradigm, different outlook on our reality and, and what is the truth and uh, what is science what can science pursue? It's it's a whole new uh, ball game. And it's interesting to hear people like you, uh, with your degrees and your scientific mind. Uh, my my good friend, uh, Dr. Rauni Kilde from Norway, she says that there's no death. And then you also have Dr. Imoto from Japan stating that you can actually, as you said, with the power of the mind, can change the material world, uh, in this case, with water. But I used to think that the scientific trained mind could not reconcile with the paranormal. But I've spoken to quite a few people who embrace this. Here you are, a scientifically trained person. How can you explain your experience in a scientific fashion? Well, um, the, way, the way that I did it was, well, first of all, I would have an experience. Um, and then I would say, well, okay, what is science telling us about validating or or not validating that experience? And so, for example, um, the healing reaction, the fact that we can heal ourselves and heal one another through prayer or positive thinking, uh, I began to study some of the experimental results on that, like uh, double-blind studies um, where... For example, heart patients who are prayed for do far better than those that aren't, uh, with all the other variables kept the same. Those are the kinds of studies that could really help. Or there's the uh, seminal research of um, Dr. Uh, William Tiller, uh, professor emeritus from Stanford University, who has taken meditators and, uh, through their intention, has found that they can literally change the properties of water. They can change the acidity, the purity, uh, any number of things in very carefully controlled experiments. There's the work of the late Marcel Vogel on um, uh, certain quartz crystals that are charged with loving energy where he's able to um, purify water and fruit juices through spinning them around the energy field of the crystal. Uh, There are many, many other experiments. There were some done at Princeton when I was there by the dean of the School of Engineering, Robert John, using random event generators, little black boxes that spit out random binary numbers, which can be influenced by the consciousness of an operator um, with their intention working 
purely psychically with the machine through their intention to be able to cohere the results from those machines. And uh, occasionally you'll have worldwide events like 9-11 that will cohere or make non-random the results of some of these machines. So we know that consciousness is a very real science, uh, obviously also in quantum physics, and that is accepted by most mainstream physicists, is the fact that uh, uh, a particle is a particle only when it's being observed. Otherwise, it's just a wave. And that particle's characteristics can, can be changed through the intention of the observer. And these are very important uh, uh, data that tell us beyond any reasonable doubt that our consciousness is very powerful and that if we can combine in positive intention, we can literally change the world. The word consciousness is used so much lately. Can you define, what's your definition of the word consciousness? Well, um, I, I have a dualistic definition, which in a way is an oxymoron, because uh, as soon as I get into a du dualistic definition, then, then it's not consciousness. But right. my crack at it is that it, it's our intention to create something new in the universe. And to the degree that the universe uh, cooperates with that intention is the degree to which the consciousness can come into action or be effective. It's, it's basically a dance, a dance of interaction between our intention and between the universe's intentions. Now, you've had remote viewing experiences, uh, near-death experience healing experiences, this all seems to be polar opposite from what we read in the science journals. Did you ever have any mental conflicts with all these discoveries? In other words, was it difficult for you to reconcile what you were experiencing with your trained scientific mind? Well, uh, for me, it, it, it wasn't too difficult uh, intellectually for me to come into acceptance. And I think it was because Uh, starting in 1979, when I started to have these experiences, I think around then I, I was already um, aware that the Western scientific paradigm that I was researching and teaching within was limited. Um, and I also, being a kind of a different kind of guy, I, I was uh, always an outside-the-box thinker, uh, it, it wasn't that difficult for me to accept What, which was uh, what was more difficult for me to make the shift was the cultural aspect of it. <clears throat> And that's why I often say that it isn't really what do the scientists think or what, how do I think or what's different about me than the other scientists or what are the rules of science. What's more important is the cultural context in which we're all embedded. And I think that a mainstream scientist who is chosen the path of uh, limited thinking, uh, must at, at some level understand and realize that maybe those of us that stepped outside the box are indeed correct, but culturally it would be unacceptable for them or their families to be able to make the leap, because it's a hard leap to make. It, it's personally very challenging. Uh, I'm certainly not accepted at all at any of the institutions I used to be at. Uh, I'm rarely, if ever, invited to speak at universities. 
And you would think that universities would be at the very leading edge of, of these thoughts. But indeed, it's a cultural question more than it is a question of, of intellect. Is it a cultural question, or is it fear that if you become a speaker at one of those institutions, that they may be threatened, that their funding may be cut off because they have you there? Yes, yes, I'm sure that would be part of it. I, I, I know that many of these people do want to avoid me for that reason. Um, that certainly is, is true. It's, it's, and, and again, it has little or nothing to do with intellectual honesty or uh, what, what you decided uh, to inquire into. Uh, it has, it, it, it's, a, it's a kind of, what is it, a, a sort of a, science has become like a religion. What people that call themselves scientists, what they're really doing is that they're subscribing to a belief system that is very powerful as far as it goes, but is limited only to those questions which are politically acceptable. Yes. And so these people and I have split off. I, they're sort of like a whole different culture. And the culture that I'm in now, I find infinitely more exciting, although I have to be cautious there too, because there are many people that are way out there in their speculations or predictions. And uh, so I have to be really careful to uh, embrace the correct epistemology, which is a, a famous word that basically means, how do we know we know? And I I do believe in the scientific method, and so I find myself, among some people, being the most conservative in, in, some, in some quarters. And yeah, it's important because you're living in Ecuador now, uh, which is a, a country that's trying to really establish their sovereignty, but at the same time, you know, they have a government that is still dependent on foreign revenues, and we're concerned about the the disappearance of the of the Amazon forest, and we can talk about that later. But let's get to the nitty-gritty for a second. SAIC, Science Applications International Corporation, which is one of the usual black-budget suspects. Can you tell us about your experience there, and what can you talk about? Well, uh, in the early 80s, I... Um worked for a few years at SAIC, but uh, with the agreement that I would not um, uh, do any military work. And so, although I, I had a mild security clearance, I really didn't come into any dark information. Um, I didn't want to. It, it, my interest at that time, uh, besides uh, uh, trying to get my kids through college, was to work on various civilian projects with NASA. And uh, one of them was to help them design a space station. Another one is to conceptualize a mission to Mars, uh, going first to the moons of Mars, Phobos and Demos. And, and so I, I was more involved in civilian work, and so I didn't really touch on, on, on the military side of things or any of the black projects. And in a way, I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't get into that world myself because, uh, as they say, once, once you start to get into it, then you can't leave. It, it becomes um, a, uh, uh, almost like a trap. <laughs> yes. I, I'm so glad I, I never really got into that world. It's almost what uh, they say in the Godfather movie, once I thought I was out, they pull me back in. 
but you're very non-traditional yep. in the fact that you could use the methods of science itself to verify and to further develop metaphysical realities. You have combined these two worlds. How does it feel to be part of that combination? Well, um, I, 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 at least for a short while there, it was okay. They, they ended up laying me off, and they had every justification to do that because I wasn't justifying myself uh, financially. Uh, if I had done the military work, it would have been easy, and I would have made a lot of money, but I, in good, good conscience, couldn't do that. So, you know, in a way it was okay while it lasted, but then uh, after a few years uh, and and my kids were mostly through college. Dr. O'Leary? Hello? Okay, here we go. We started talking about the Black Projects and, and SAIC, and we got disconnected. I'll call him back. Hello, Mel? Dr. O'Leary, as I told you, once we start talking about something really relevant, I expect something like this to happen. But uh, let's let's move forward. Yes. Okay. Uh, you were talking about SAIC. Well, and yeah, I was just kind of explaining that, um, that I worked briefly with SAIC. And uh, it, it was actually a pleasant experience. I worked only on civilian projects, however and couldn't really justify my weight. So uh, when I left there, then I was truly cut loose out there into the world of new science and metaphysics. I don't mean to be bringing Dr. Laviolette up so much, but the two of you have so many parallels. He also was approached by, let's call it the Black Projects, but he refused because he felt like his work was going to be stifled. And the fact that what he wanted to do, he wanted to do it for humanity. He didn't want his his knowledge to be put away in, in, in a black project somewhere for not, humanity not to use. But please uh, explain how does the scientific method explain the occult? For the conventional mind, this question just doesn't make sense, but you have studied this and have found that it is possible to explain it scientifically. Please tell us uh, more about this. Are you there? I'm Hello? here. Yes. Can um, you hear me? Well, it, you have to do it bit by bit. Um, the occult is maybe a funny word. Um, uh, of course, that means hidden. And um, I, I've spent many years thinking about some of these questions about, well, what is it that is happening here with the phenomena of consciousness? And there are so many uh, successful experiments that show beyond any reasonable doubt that consciousness is very real, that, in fact, there are forces of nature which are transcendent, uh, that are beyond uh, the four known forces of physics. And so any attempt to, for example, mathematically reconcile those forces, uh, such as string theory, uh, falls far short of, of really uh, how an accurate description of the universe might be. Uh, another way of thinking of this is that there are other or higher dimensional phenomena impinging on our own space-time reality, and those phenomena can be described uh, and inferred uh, by how some time, space, material things change as a result of those higher dimensional realities. And so it's possible to begin to model what, what they may be. 
And what it seems is that uh, an Eastern thought is sometimes called the ether uh, or etheric energy. Yes. Uh, it has many words. Uh, there's occult is another word, as. Right. Dr. O'Leary? Hello? They're starting to have fun with us, aren't they? <laughs> I guess. Well, that means that, w w that means that what you have to say, Dr. O'Leary, is important. And uh, you explained the scientific method and the, the fact that you can explain uh, the metaphysics part uh, very wisely. But once again, going back to the Black Projects, when you refused, did, did anything happen to you? Because sometimes when you refuse, there are consequences for refusing. What happened to you? Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is Stanton Friedman, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.